Welcome to Essie's Hour of Love! Guys, we're doing the introduction a little bit differently tonight. I have uh, the other co-person. Co- <laughs> That's the weirdest way to describe it. I don't know. The, I mean, uh, other team member of Essie's Hour of Love here, Grace Taylor. Hi. Uh, so Grace has been... A part of Essie's Hour of Love, I think from like, I mean, I think I think I had the first like three or four months by myself and then you came on, right? When did you start it exactly? I don't remember, but it was at FIT. Um, what year, when did we? Well, because you came on as a guest, like you were like my fourth or fifth guest. Okay, I and wasn't then, sure where I fell in that yeah, spectrum. And then you didn't come on again. I mean, then you didn't get involved until probably like a semester in. So I probably was doing it for six months before you came and helped. Okay. Um, we also have like another Nancy. Nancy Pappas. Na- Nancy Pappas who's in Europe at the moment. And yes. I would say she's kind of our art director of the of the crew. Definitely. And you're, what do you, what, who are you? What are you? I don't know. I like to just think I'm, <laughs> you're like conscience. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you write. <laughs> And you're the big writer of the group. But you really, you're just, like, you keep us on track as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to start doing the intros together because Ooh. Grace told, what did you tell me? No, I, I told you I didn't like the intros very much. I didn't tell you I wanted to be in them. No, you didn't say you wanted to <laughs> You just told me you didn't like them and I it didn't. sounded weird that I was just talking to myself. A little. Which I then followed up saying, I know, I hate doing them. <laughs> I don't even think we need intros, but apparently we do. Structure, Essie. Yes, structure. Great. Uh, so this um, episode is Kurt McVeigh, who I worked at the Artful Bachelorette with, which we will discuss all in the in The, the episode. Um, episode. You guys really clarify how we know each how other. you know each other mm. very well. Uh, but he is kind of the quintessential New Yorker to me. He actually grew up in Long Island, but you know how like Did he? yeah, I didn't know that. You know how in the movies though, there's like the life of the New Yorker that goes to art exhibits and knows all the people and the writers and the you know that type of dude. Yeah, he's that guy. He's yeah. completely that guy, man about town. So anyway. It's, it's funny when you say that, like, I almost think that he's, like, the male version of, like, the Sarah Jessica Parker character from Sex and the City, who, like, knows everybody, gets invited to everything, he kind and of writes is. about it. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's quite feminine sometimes as well. Yes. <laughs> um, and also we wanted to tell everyone that he mentions a lot of artists that, just to clarify, we have no idea who he's talking about. <laughs> We're sure they're amazing and we have to but, go check them out. <laughs> but, you know, if it seems like I know what he's talking I don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> just to clear. But um, I hope you enjoy. Yes. The best edit people, podcasters in the world. Well, that's, edit. but that, well, what I found yeah. out, it's an, there's like an East Coast, West Coast thing. East Coast are more known for editing podcasts because they put, like, the story together. And the West Coast are more known for just, like, the general conversation for an hour. I'm like, i got to go to the West Coast. The general conversation for an hour is the only way to go. Thank you very much. Uh, How close do I have to be? No, it's fine. It's really good. I think so. Except the only thing we have to be careful of is this. Oh, don't do that. Yeah. All right, good. I also do this. 
Well, as long as we announce that that is your iced coffee that you will be hearing, could you try to minimize that in the next hour? Yes. It's, it's stirred. You've got yeah, it. I wonder if I do this. Beautiful. I'm sure you sound very attractive. Ah, okay. So welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, I'm so happy to be here. It's been a long time in the making. Is this still Essie's Hour of Love? It's called Essie's Hour of Love, but I'm not making up a love story about you. Oh, thank God. Yeah, we're going to be talking about <laughs> your thoughts on love. But No one ever asked me for my thoughts, so it means so much to me. Are you kidding? I feel like all I hear when I hang out with you is your thoughts. Uh, that doesn't mean you asked me for them. <laughs> I probably would have asked you for them. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that would have been a nice balance. But excuse me, you did like the day that I made up a love story about I you. did. No, I had a great time. Uh, the only reason I'm uh, apprehensive about doing it again is I was so bad at lying and protecting my identity. Yes, you came on as the fake... Yeah, as the fake person. No, but I'm saying the first night that I ever made up a love story about you. Remember, you and oh. I went out for dinner. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, that's what you were talking that's about. That's what I was talking about, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember I was in a board meeting, and there was a raven-haired goddess, a uh, goddess who was feisty and sort of challenged me on a point, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to meet her, and uh, I'm angry at you, actually, for that. How dare you do a DiCaprio Inception thing with this sort of high-powered business lady? Anyway. Uh, I know. I kind of have stopped doing it now because... Because you inflate people's expectations. Well, it's weird, but I I mean, I'm like, I'm making a rom-com in my brain where they're (laughs) taking it as like, so Mm -hmm. this is going to happen to me next week. They they think uh, you're Nostradamus. Yeah. Esther Damas. I'm like, guys. (laughs) What's the name of your next show? Esther Damas. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to spell that, but (laughs) (laughs) sounds great. So I think we should go back to how we know each other. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember, do you know that we actually met first time in this room? Did we? You wouldn't, like it wouldn't, it would be memorable for me because it was the first ever Artful Bachelorette. Sort of little shindig. Thing I went to and it was before I'd started even teaching. So you, I remember you were late, obviously. Oh. <laughs> and you just like strolled in with your Kurt stroll. Yes. And I'm glad that's a thing. It's a complete thing. And um <laughs> I feel like I could, I used to be able to act it out perfectly. I don't, I'm not really? sure if I could do it anymore. Uh, yeah. Even if you could, though, it'd be hard to translate you, via podcast. It's like you don't even see the room when you walk in, though. It's like you're, it's, it's sort of like you're on, in your it's own. It's sort of a combination element. between Kramer and Vincent Price, I would say, with a dash of Jack Sparrow yeah. and a bit of the Green Goblin crashing through. But then I have to throw in like a high school jock like in there as well. Like. Totally, totally. <laughs> Al, Al Bundy, Poke High, circa 1970. I can see that like the listeners probably thinking that you come in with like a little dance. It's like, no, no, it's like, it's with purpose. It's uh, just. Everything I do, I do with purpose. purpose. That's true. It's the only way to live. But then really the second time we met, I would have been teaching an art for bachelorette party. Mm-hmm. So I guess we should explain that. So for two, you're the original, really the original. I'm like the, I'm like the equivalent of Matthew McConaughey in uh, uh, Magic Mike. I'm like the old guy who's just hanging in there getting by on his charm, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like keeping it tight, but got to work a little bit harder. Harder, yeah. Just got to work a little bit harder, you know. So we, so basically worked together at a company called the Artful Bachelorette where you, uh, okay, I'm just going to say I would host the party. It would be mm-hmm. a two-hour art class. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like it's ended. It's not ended. I just don't work it's there still anymore. You I mean, I, I've checked out, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm so in. But You're there. I'm, I'm still there. I'm not. 
but it would be to our art class where we'd have like average 12 ladies and yeah. we would teach an art class and Kurt would yeah. be the nude male model right. for the class. Exactly. Yeah, which was like the perfect job while I was studying. Uh, my thing is like when it's always the perfect job for you, you know, like I wish I had an excuse like I was doing something that was more important, but it's just always so good. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just to sort of flesh it out, I did one last night. It was a 50th birthday party. Yeah. And it was this woman, Mary, she just turned 50. And uh, she works in a hospital with a bunch of her hospital friends, nurses, administrators. The nurses are good at the party. I remember oh, that. Well, nurses, we all know, are, you know, not just on Halloween. They're pretty naughty people. Nurses. They also have seen a lot. They've so seen a lot. So it's not shocking to them when no, you, it's like, not. No, it's very we clinical. do the reveal. It's very clinical at first. Um, in almost all cases, especially so with nurses, they're sort of like, oh, my, nothing, nothing I haven't seen before, you know. But but they turn an even more aggressive uh, corner about halfway through where uh, I think they realize they're not in a sterile environment. Right. So they, they, they treat it with this sort of clinical uh, sort of indifference. But then it clicks in their head, no, I'm not in a hospital, not in some sort of office. He's not ill. Yeah, this guy's not ill. In fact, he looks reasonably <laughs> yeah. healthy. Uh, maybe not this morning, though. Last night I looked great. This morning, uh, we can see right now, uh, the mummy returns is sitting in front of Esther right now. So He looks uh, wonderful. Oh, thank you. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so last night it was a 50th birthday party and these women were sort of unbelievable and just so, so silly and just... But, like, in a good... Because you know how it can kind of go... Either way. I have to tell you, we haven't had a bad one in, in almost, uh, I, I would say, in years. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's just because, you know, you get to a point where, where you've done it so many times that you see things coming from so far away, uh-huh. like Esther Domus does, yeah. uh, that you squash it before they even know it's a thing. Um, and I feel like I'm doing that sort of you know, unconsciously. So, so because well, I did one probably six months ago with you or something, and my radar for that was completely off. But by the time when I was wrapping it up, when I'd been doing, you know, three parties a weekend for nearly two years, I was, yeah, especially if yeah. you and I were doing it, it's yeah. like we knew. Like, like Esther in her prime was like the LeBron James of teaching these <laughs> classes. You know, if she were to come in and do it now, she would be like sort of. I don't know if there's like a basketball equivalent. It would be like Jerry Seinfeld probably trying to get out there on the court. And do it. No, yeah. I don't know. You I, hear it. Even though he just sold out of Beacon's uh, theater and they've extended his shows. But yeah, no, but, but, I, but my point was that when I came in just for this like one night, the par- I had no control of the party. And I'm like, yeah, it's not just that you're teaching. It's not just, you're really just hosting. You're, you're really, wrangling. Yeah, you're, a, you're swirling. You're t- like... I keep wanting to say a teacher. It's not a teacher in a sense, but yeah, you're you're you are like on you're traffic a, control. You're a live ways. new drawing pimp shaman. Yeah, when you're doing that, you have to be totally in control. Yeah, yeah. and you're so a bodyguard of you as well. You're a bodyguard. You're absolutely a teacher. You're a coach. Sometimes you're even a life coach. Yeah. Sometimes you're like you know head of the sorority. You know, other times you're you a stand up comedian. You're, you're absolutely a stand up comedian. You're a performer. Yeah. You're the older sister. You're all those things. Yeah. You have to be everything. Actually, because um, I've been heading into this strategist world in, in advertising. And it's, uh, I remember talking to someone like when I was about to graduate from school and I was like, look, I have these really weird jobs 
and I find them fascinating and I know that they link to being a strategist because a strategist is all about understanding people's behaviour and what makes them tick and stuff like that. And I said, I really want to be able to sell these jobs in to getting a job as a strategist. And she said, the lady that was helping me was a strategist, she's like, you need to you need to then pull out the insights that you've learned from these jobs. And what I really came up with was being a teacher for the Alpha Bachelorette was I, I was the maid of honour they always wanted. Yes. For that two hours, I am the ultimate maid of honour. Yes. And, and I imagine in real life you would also be the well, ultimate maid Well, no, of because I'm not a good planner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like, like hosting like that I could do but no I I'm like let's just get some pizza and I want to be somebody's best man oh you've never been I've never been I don't think I ever will be I also don't think I'm ever going to be anyone's godfather oh my god and I want to write a sad song saying I I want to be your your best man why do you want to be your best man because I just feel like I've never let anyone in enough and I'm not responsible enough and it is a, I feel like it's a reflection on me as a person. They I, People want me at their wedding. Okay. They want me front and center at the wedding getting down. But they're like, listen, you're not that guy. Oh, Kurt, we just had a baby. Come see the baby. We want you there. But you're not, not, you're not going to be affiliated with this child in any capacity. So. But I think you would do a pretty epic speech. I would do that. Because sometimes I think the best man and, like, the maid of honor, sometimes chosen by, like, could they put on a bit of a show? So my one of my best friends, Cole, uh, who I went to college with, uh, got married Labor Day weekend upstate. And uh, another good friend of mine, Luke. I don't know if you've ever met my friend. No, Luke. I don't. Yeah. Um, so it, it was sort of Luke and Cole's older brother who was sort of like the shared best man. I don't think either of them got that title, but they both gave speeches. So the older brother. That's also starting to happen is no one's actually given the title. Well, it's a lot of pressure. I want the pressure. I'm ready for the pressure. Okay. But anyway, the two of these, two of these guys gave speeches and there was a point a few weeks before the wedding where Cole was like, hey, Kurt, do you want to give a speech too? And I was like, listen, if your brother's given one, if Luke's given one, Luke was so excited. You know, he was like preparing for it for weeks. You know, it was a great speech. And I was like, I'm not going to give a speech. What am I going to do? And I was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing or anything. And uh, so I sort of let it go. And I was like, I'm just going to be in attendance. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dance. So about halfway through the wedding, uh, I'm out on the dance floor and I see Cole's mom, who I've met a bunch of times. And she's out on the dance floor and I come up to her and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, let's dance. And she grabs me by the, by the arm and she pulls me in tight and she goes, all night long, you've been dancing extremely inappropriately. <gasps> And I was like, oh, no, I've been dirty dancing all night. And or either either this woman's standards of sort of puritanical dancing or just uh, on the other end of the spectrum of mine, or I've been going like full like Bill Cosby on the dance floor with my girlfriend. And I just was too drunk to know. But I asked everyone else. And I was like, guys, have I been dancing like Swayze in the the 70s or something, you know, and they're like. No, you're totally fine. And so I, I literally later in the evening, I was like, hey, I was like, I'm sorry if I was. She was like, it, it really is just, it was not. And I was like, what did I do? Like, tell oh, She's like, I'm not even going to repeat it. I'm like, what do you mean repeat it? Like, so, uh, so I tried to talk to Cole about it. I was like, Cole, I feel bad. Your mom told me I was dancing inappropriately. She's like, he's like, oh, just drop it. Just let's just drop it. <laughs> so it's like, I can't even dance, uh, you know, yeah. appropriately at a wedding. I felt so bad. 
I'm like, I don't want to play up, but I would, if someone came up and said that to me as well, I would freak out like you freaked out as well. I'd be like, oh my God. I, I, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I don't know what it was. I even asked my, my girlfriend, um, uh, I was like, hey, did I, you know, yeah. did I like pull a Donald Trump on the dance floor or something? Yeah. Like, she was like, no, you're totally fine. I, so I have no idea. Maybe she, I don't know. Maybe what she just that? really wanted to dance with you. But you the know. mom? Yeah, but I guess you opened it up. But I was dancing with all the old ladies out there. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I spread it Maybe around. you waited too long to ask her. Maybe. Maybe. She just grew like a bit of... So like, anyway, yeah. the, the reason I say that is... Yeah, I can't maybe even, you should not... I can't even be trusted to dance at a wedding. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, it was quite the sort of like... It was like a bunch of... So like Cole's family's from Ohio yeah. and her family's from, um, I wish that meant like, something like the me. middle of Massachusetts. Okay. It's very sort of like Midwest buttery meets sort of like puritanical. Okay. The kids are the greatest, but there was an overarching air. It felt like an M night Shyamalan film or something. It was like one of those weddings, okay. Okay. you know, where they're like, you know, specters in the woods, like right on the periphery and, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, I don't even know, like, uh, the crucible, uh, okay. vibes and okay. stuff, you know? So it was yeah. a little bit like that. How and long was the ceremony? Like the, the actual, the ceremony was quick. Her, her friend did it. Uh, you know, you literally like it, it's, everything's outside. Yeah. You walk 20 feet, people are there with champagne, but it took forever for people to get dancing. And, uh, the DJ was my buddy, Noah. And he literally pulled me aside. He was like, Kurt, we gotta get, get we gotta get this going. Because everyone was just standing around. There's nobody dancing. No. So I grabbed the microphone and uh, I was like, what kind of wedding is this? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it would stem from that. I don't know. Maybe. I, I was like, get up, grab somebody, you know? And uh, uh, it worked. It worked. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess I brought too much attention on myself there, you know. And uh, but but I got people dancing. But yeah, so a few blunders, a few blunders. Yeah. I tread softly. But wait, so are you think is it? Do you have like a core best guy friend there that just hasn't been married yet? Like, do you think there's one in the pipeline that this is going to happen? The, the, the closest thing to that is probably my buddy Luke, yeah. who's newly single, oh. and he, God, Luke, and and he was chosen as a pseudo best man by Cole. So he's going to have to so ask So if he Cole. gets married, I'm out again. Yeah, he's got to ask wow. Cole. He's not going to be like, hey, Cole, you're sitting this one out. Kurt's stepping in. He's going to be like, no way. This guy, like, you know, he's inappropriate on the dance floor. Right, yeah. You can't even trust this guy to even speech. can't even dance. It's so funny we're talking about this because I'm not sure if you're aware that girls constantly have the conversation. It's it's getting a bit old now because it's getting a bit older, but, like, who, who do you think your bridesmaids are going to be? Oh, yeah. Like, it's a big one. Yeah. And, like, do you think about that? Like, who mine would be? Yeah. Who, who would be your uh, maid of honor? Do you have one lined up? Mm, well, no. I like not having that person. I always say, uh, you know what else I say is, I'm nobody's best friend. Yeah. I say that too because it's just too much pressure. Or I say everyone's my best friend. I'm uh, like, meet my best friend. Well, because oh, I, well, uh, also a friend. Well, what's the middle? What's the middle mark? Because I don't want to just say this is my friend. I want I want some weight to it. But, yeah. I, but best is... Yeah. I have a core My group. dear friend. I have a core group, like Cole and, and Luke and, and, like, those guys. Are they, like, high school buddies? They're college guys. College guys, So, yeah. like, really, like, my really like my enduring best friends. Like, a guy I hung out with last night uh, just moved up here from D.C. And I met him my sophomore year of college, and he was just such a great friend. And I'm, I'm so happy to have him up in the city. Yeah. But I'm not even that guy's best friend. No. You know, like, I'm nobody's best friend. Part of it is 
because I'm kind of a dick, but also because uh, I'm just, I, I spread it around, yeah. you know, in the best positive way. You know, I really do. And, uh, you know, I'm just so, like sort of overly conscious about putting too much on anyone. Well, you know, I'm quite similar. What also is happening to me is that a lot of, I back off when they're in a relationship because like my favorite things to do is like breakfast on a, on a Saturday. Hey, tell but, me yeah, but I'm not going to like... When you when I know they're lying in bed together snuggling, I'm like, uh, hey, guys, Frankie, <laughs> yeah. guys, breakfast in bed. Yeah. You just like do like a cannonball so into the middle of the bed. I, I, yeah, exactly. Spilling orange juice all over the guy's face. And I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. Ooh, hot coffee on the ball. Yeah. Sorry about and that. And then I'll be like, when did you wash these sheets Ooh, last? Gross. Ooh. <laughs> um, but I do. I back off, and I, I'm. Starting to realize I can't do that as much anymore because most people are in a relationship. So oh, I'm not yeah. gonna. Oh, or you have to hang out with like younger people. Oh, who wants to do I that? I know. Boring. Ah, oh, terrible. Yeah, their freshness of life. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah. Even my buddy who moved uh, from DC, his friends are all like, you know, like financial people, like and, and stuff like that. Which I, they were very nice. But I realized when you hang out with people who aren't like artistic people, yeah, you're the uncool one. Like you oh, say things please. and people are like, Ugh. you know, I'm like yesterday. In, what I, did you say? Yesterday please. I interviewed this guy, Joseph Kasuth, who's probably like the most well-known conceptual, conceptual artist alive. Uh, he lives in London. He's got a studio in New York and he just did the first ever contemporary art installation, uh, a permanent one in the Louvre. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's like a sort of a big deal to interview this guy. And uh, just like bringing this up was just such a sort of part Down of that. They're like, Joseph Kasuth, what? Huh? <laughs> Like, who cares? Like, shut up. Turn up the Rihanna song, you know? And I was like, all right. I mean, like, I can get down to Rihanna too, but like. I'll just stop but, talking. But when you hang out with financial people, you're lame. Yeah. You're, you're like, nobody wants to talk about that. Shut up. But this is what's fascinating about you. One, how are you, how are you describing who you are at the moment? What are you saying? Um, I always say I'm a writer. Uh, it, when, when, you know, push to do the what do you do. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of how I like that question more. How do you describe yourself? Self, yeah. Uh, if if that if somebody asked me that, I would say I was an artist. Uh, but I think that would even be misleading. And I think sometimes you sort of stumble into an identity, and you sort of step into it. It doesn't necessarily get affixed to you, you know. Uh, and I'm not talking about like sort of identity politics. No, 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 no. Like I know what you mean. But but a sort of professional identity and. Uh, sort of slipping into this role as a writer happened so naturally and organically. Uh, and it was really the only thing fully where it was just very obvious, like that's kind of what I was and what I, what I am, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I say writer. And it's broad. It's so, it's so nice and broad yeah. uh, that, and it also sort of carries with it a sort of vibe and, 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 and an ethos and, and in New York city, especially it's, it's cool. Mm. You know, if you're a writer and you can sort of confidently say that, and a lot of your income comes from that and people are really genuinely interested in reading what you have to say, it's really nice to be a writer and uh, it just opens up so many incredible doors. So yeah, I'm yeah. okay with that. So when I first met you, you were writing for interview. Yes. Mag. Mm -hmm. And then, was transitioning to have more of a role in New York Times. Right. 
And is that still kind of going on or what's... Well... And I know that there was a screenplay. That's still happening. Yeah. Uh, is that the historical... Yes. Yeah. Something? I'll take you through it okay. real quick. Uh, so I started an interview and um, my editor there, after about two years, left and went to the New York Times. So I'm a freelance person. So what I always say is your relationship to a magazine is only as strong as your relationship to an editor. So when she left and went from inter interview to the New York Times... Um, I don't think she left with bad blood necessarily, but I developed such an intense relationship with her that when she left, uh, a good chunk of my relationship to interviews sort of dissipated or was severed, mm -hmm. not completely, you know, sort of like a partially torn Achilles tendon. You know, it's like you could still walk around, but it hurts, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was a little frustrated by that because there's some interviews that or, or, or some opportunities to speak to people that are just so conducive to that magazine where they just don't necessarily fit in elsewhere. And uh, I have to obviously give credit to Andy Warhol and everybody else who sort of, you know, created that modus operandi. To give you an example, tonight I'm going to this film premiere with Rose Hartman, who's the 79-year-old Studio 54 photographer. Oh, wow. Has several famous shots of Andy Warhol and stuff. And uh, I pitched it to... T magazine, the New York Times style magazine, and they were like, Kurt, we don't really need the words. Like, we're just going to run a gallery of her images, uh. which was sad for me because she has so much to say. And I just don't, I didn't feel 100% confident pitching interview. Uh, a lot of the editors have sort of changed over. Their previous editors left and moved to Berlin. Uh, and if you look on interview site right now, it's like the same two editors doing everything. And it's partially because resources yeah. have dwindled so much and so much weight is put on uh, these very minimal staff uh, sort of rosters and stuff where, where they're just spread so thin. So, so I would have loved to have been able to really pitch Rose Hartman to Interview Magazine and had to sort of settle for just sort of putting the images in front of T Magazine, the New York Times style magazine, sort of backing off, you know? So uh, that's a little upsetting. And looking at T Magazine as well, where this, a similar thing is happening, where uh, it's becoming much more uh, of like this advertorial, sort of like sexy high-end town mm -hmm. and country, where it's very style heavy, very design heavy, uh, interior design, a little bit of architecture. And the stuff that I do is very much about just sort of exploring people, which, I, you know, obviously you like yeah, to it. do as well. But it's not, it doesn't work so much anymore uh, in an economic way mm -hmm. where there it's just not as sustainable where the pieces have to function in, an, in a sort of advertorial manner uh, uh, or else it, it just doesn't sort of work for people. So I am finding myself getting sort of organically squeezed out of a lot of these larger culture magazines. And it's primarily because I like talking to artists who are very well known, like within the art world. Joseph, but in your world. Jo within yeah. the art world, Joseph Kasuth, for instance, is a superstar. He's one of the most successful living artists in the world. But if you just stop 10 people on the street, maybe one out of 10 would know who this guy is. And that, in New York, even like, in New York, no, let, that's what I mean. Let alone the rest of the yeah. world. Yeah, if I went to another, if I went to any state, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and that's a bit presumptuous. There might be people in the Midwest and stuff who are like, oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah no, I'm sure, it. but I like. But what that equates to is a small readership. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, less always, money and, and less money for them. You know, if I do a review of uh, the latest Game of Thrones episode, 
you know, the entire world could potentially read that if it's on a decent publication. Where if I do a, an amazing in-depth profile on one of the greatest living artists right now, Joseph Kasuth, which I'm about to do, I, you know, uh, a lot of people in the art world are going to go, wow, that's great. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small audience. So we're seeing a lot of publications vocalize this and say, hey, Kurt, this just isn't sustainable for us anymore. So where are you getting squeezed to? What do you... So I, so Joseph Kasuth is going to be um, for White Hot Magazine, which is like this 12-year-old contemporary art magazine. And um, it's a little like wild behind the scenes and they're going through some transitions. But the editor there is this guy, Noah Becker, who's also an artist and he's been doing it forever. And he really just... Uh, goes out of his way to give me room to operate. Mm. And that sort of mutual sense of faith has worked well in the sense that uh, I've sort of crossed this uh, sort of threshold where, you know, previously everyone wanted me to do something just because I had access to these great publications. Right. But now, delightfully, you know, people are sort of saying, hey, Kurt, it doesn't necessarily matter where this lands we sort of appreciate what your take is going to be. So, so white hot is sort of okay with us. Uh, so that's been really nice. Yeah. Of course, it's nice to get things into the times or vanity fair, but something like vanity fair, for instance, said to me, carte blanche, Kurt, we're not doing these culture stories anymore, which means we're not really doing art stories. It's just, it's not really viable for us, which is really frustrating. Uh, T magazine is, uh, really sort of like sassy style and all this kind of thing. It's just like not really my cup of tea. And, and you uh, want to stick with, I mean, because it, you're totally in the art world that I totally, you also have been really, like, you could fit into 20 different worlds if you want to, but it seems like the art world's really where you want to go. But write about a movie, write about even right. well, sports. Well, Like yeah. you have, it's like, but obviously this art thing is where you want to. The only reason I like the art world is because uh, artists are, I mean, Joseph Kasuth, for instance, uh, you know, doing this incredible installation uh, in this excavated dungeon. Are you going to go see They it? found, I'm hoping they'll bring me out. Yeah. Uh, what, what you often have to do is like sort of write a kick-ass article first and be like, do you like it? And yeah. they'll be like, all right, come You should back. end it with, and it would be great to see it. <laughs> and it would be great to see you there, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he lives in London, and it was funny when I was talking to him on the phone yesterday. This happens every time I speak to somebody in London. Uh, we always do the interview on the uh, while they're driving, oh. it's sort of weird. Uh, the last one I did was with uh, with a art, artist over in London was uh, Mary McCartney, uh, Paul McCartney's daughter, is a great oh, photographer, wow. and she was going to pick up her son after school. And you know, you can hear her like hogging, yeah. and people are like, "Yes, please move out of the way." <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, Kasuth was just so funny. He's like telling me like what roads he's going down. You know, he was like doing like the scent of a woman sort of description. Can you hear the clicker like turning right, turning left? Uh, no, you can like just kind of like you can just hear like the London noises. Yeah. And what's so funny in, in New York, we're so used to New York noises. Uh, and I'm sure in a lot of cities it sounds really similar, but no, but there's the, different sounds. There are different yeah. sounds, and the London noises. You're like, oh, that kind of jumping in those London noises. But even like ambulance, like emergency sounds are completely different. Like in New York, it slows as they slow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure in Australia it's just the constant sound on recording. It's like, like ah! it, yeah, there's no like, oh, it's going to a stop sign, it's settling down. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the point with the suit and, and, you know, I don't know, anyone who's 
gonna listen doesn't want me to just drone on all day about you know the ins and outs of the publishing world make that assumption all right but uh, you know the one thing with joseph pursuit right is he's constantly trying to dissect exactly what art is what is the meaning of art uh so it's not just somebody talking about their painting or their art object or something they're talking about you know he you know but basically what Kasuth was saying is you know we we sort of gave up on philosophy at a certain point where it was like Kant and Nietzsche and these guys and you know obviously you know there were guys like Freud and mm -hmm. Carl Jung but there really hasn't been anyone since those dudes to sort of pick pick up that mantle and sort of move forward uh, there's been a lot of like sort of like new age people like you know the sort of like the Deepak or Chopra yeah, and yeah. guys like that but um, artists especially these really sort of high thinking artists have sort of taken the mantle of these sort of great philosophers uh, at least his argument uh, just because on the other coin on the other side of the artistic coin is sort of science where scientists have become more sort of like practical philosophers so I'm at a point where I'm really only interested in speaking to artists who are speaking to something larger than themselves, uh, who are really looking uh, for a way to sort of push us forward as a species or to bring us together as a bunch of human beings with differences of all kinds. You know, so art is so clearly the way into that. That's not to say that other, uh, you know, mediums uh, whether you're you write novels or you make films or you're a playwright or an actor, right? Fashion designer or even a fashion designer, a musician. Lot of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I interview all these people too. It's just that art is the greatest sort of portal into a discussion about everything, into a discussion about life, where it just has become clear to me that other mediums are just a bit more sort of myopic in their scope. That's not to say that... The, when you say myopic, what do you mean? What do you, well, 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 also... Because I would think that everyone will have a different like answer for this, which is cool. And, well, everyone's an artist, you know? Uh, well, but for, I guess my answer, because I think films is the ultimate... Well, it's definitely what we've seen and perhaps now more so than the last five years, television is perhaps mm. having more of a cultural impact than film, which is becoming like, you know, theme park cinema well, in I, a way. And I would argue because they now have the freedom that film had. But, yeah. Well, definitely there's more platforms and, uh, you know, it's not super beholden to these like puritanical network norms and stuff. Like we're pushing the envelope a little bit. We're sort of treating the audience a bit more like adults, mm -hmm. which is perhaps the opposite is happening in film right now. Um what I found, though, with speaking to directors, for instance, is they want the film really to speak for itself. It's not to say, like, fine yeah. artists want, want you know, their work to speak for themselves, but they understand that their piece of art or their artwork is a gateway into a conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think when it comes to a film, for instance, directors are really apprehensive about talking about it. Unless you, like, really sit down with a guy like Tarantino who really wants to talk about all the inherent references right. and illusions that he's making but for the most part good directors are like mm, it should, yeah i shouldn't have to say anything but then on the other hand you have actors yeah right and what happens with actors in the press world is they are put through the ringer more so than any other creative so so an access access to a good actor looks a lot like sitting in at press junkets or press conferences mm -hmm. where where it's like running the gauntlet so by the time they get to you, or even if you get there first, they're so jaded, they're so burnt, that they're really not interested in talking to you. They're no. going to give you out-of-the-box uh, answers. 
So I just don't really find it that interesting speaking to an actor. It's really nice often to be able to speak to an actor who's dabbling in another medium. So like there's a lot of actors right now who are trying to paint. Like uh, I get how you're like trying to paint. <laughs> emphasis on trying. Uh, sorry guys, but like James Franco and like Adrian. He's Brown gonna try and, everything in the whole world. And Norman Reedus. And when they step out of their comfort zone, they operate with a bit more of a, like, you know, humility. Yeah. And uh, they also tread a bit softly. And it's even more indicative of the sensitivity and the open-mindedness mm -hmm. that's inherent in art as opposed to film. Because you can see this sort of psychological transition that these guys make into thinking a bit more thoughtfully, into being a bit more open uh, you know, whereas if you're like, hey, Franco, tell me about your latest film. He's like, uh, yeah. hey, Franco, tell me about this painting. Part of it is there's an insecurity there making that transition uh, because, you know, obviously there's this stigma going from one thing to another. Yeah. But I like to I like to catch like actors outside their comfort zone and stuff like that. And I would follow that up with that. Also, you're just asking them questions that they haven't been asked 40 billion times in the past three days. Right. Like right. you're just bringing hey, well, up a different subject. Exactly. You're, you're in a movie. Hey, what, what was it like working with this actress or the director? And did you guys play plank, pranks on each other? And so, like, shut up. <laughs> you really quickly run out of shit to say. Yeah. It's not to say you can't run into that with, with artists, but, you know, there's way more possibilities, way more avenues and paths to go down. And you're often speaking to something much larger than yourself. Uh, where in film, uh, I think things have been sort of co-opted a bit by sort of catering to sort mm -hmm. of political norms or attempting to sort of overtly make a message and stuff like that. So well, and uh, not to say that doesn't happen in the no, art but I think also with films, you're dealing with like an actor. You know, an actor is asked, "What was it like working with this person? What was that director like?" Or something. But you ask a solo artist. You, they have different weight and it's it's their own right. being, and they can say right. they're not hurting any. They don't have to so be political. Yeah. And like, and they can't really say, you know what? It was really fucking hard right. working with that director. Right. You, like they, they can't. Yeah, no. And if yeah. they do, it, yeah. you're sort of, well, and you're putting happened. the film down. There's been, well, yeah. Like you got to say nice things. Yeah. Maybe also, 20 years later. But, but it's funny you say maybe 20 years later, because that's right. And it's interesting. But what, what's often the case is a lot of these actors are speaking about something that they work on. They worked on six months Or two years ago. ago. Two yeah. years ago. So you can feel that they're sort of grasping. So anyway, it's not really my cup of tea. I, yeah. lo I love speaking to musicians. Uh, I get a lot of albums sent to me before they're released. And uh, you kind of put them through this filter. And the albums that sort of stay with you or find their way onto your iPhone or whatever it happens to be. I know you'd play them before yeah. while setting up yeah. for the parties. And there you're you like, go. oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the ones that sort of break through, uh, like that's a really fun experience for me. Is you know, like every week I'll download like five or six albums that get sent to me by PR people. And then usually by the end of the month, there's like one or two where I'm like, wow, these are really good. Is, yeah. And then it's usually right about when that album's coming out. And then I'll do like a review or, or I'll interview someone. And that's so amazing because, you know, when you process the music and you have these thoughts about lyrics or just how certain things or just the general themes and to sort of download them literally and sort of emotionally and then to be able to go to the artist, mm -hmm. uh, especially with music. Like, that's what I really like. In music, you can be a bit more lyrical where it's like, what the hell did you mean by yeah. that lyric? You know, where with artists, like, you don't, you can't be that literal. But with musicians, you can kind of be like, what the hell does that line mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there's this uh, there's this guy I interviewed who's in this band called the Chain Gang of 1974. And he has this one line 
that goes, you're a vampire on a conference call. And it's like, oh, you're a vampire on a conference call? call? And uh, I remember asking him about that. And he's like, dude, he's like, I was dating this girl. Uh, and she got up at like 11 a.m. Like we like kind of hooked up the night before. And she was the sweetest girl. And he's like, I'm sleeping. I'm in a haze. And I wake up to like this girl like screaming at somebody. And he's like, I live alone. I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, I wake up and I like kind of go over to her. And she's like, oh, the conference call. And then goes back into it. And it's like, you want to. Yeah. And he's like, damn, girl, you're a vampire on a conference call. You know? So I don't know. I just thought like. That's so like cool. Like a weird like sort of silly lyric and a silly moment. Like, so, so that's great. So, I mean, I could talk about. No, I know. But I, so I have a I was just reading the paper before you came in and there's the modern love section or modern romance section oh, wow. in, in start in style. Oh, okay. Thing. But it's really annoying me that the modern love section is in the style oh, yeah. section. Why would that be? <sighs> well, you know, listen, uh, it was it the New York times. Yeah. Well, listen, you, well, what my editor said to me when I first wrote for the New York times, she goes, Kurt, this isn't a magazine. It's a newspaper. And even if it's T magazine inside, you know, if it's an insert or the New yeah. York times magazine, it's not sort of about like editorializing. So I think within the New York Times itself, you have like hard news. And then I think everything else sort of gets rele- relegated to being something a bit more sort of like, yeah. oh, it's style. Bit it's of the fluff. Really, yeah, it's a little fluffy. Take all your emotions and all that and put that put sh- it over there. Put that yeah. over there. Yeah. Keep it over there. I, I mean, so. that's just my hypothesis. No, I, I, I just was. By the way, surprised. why don't you start writing uh, little little things for them? You should start. Oh, uh, yeah, writing. I'll just call them up. Yeah. Hey, guys. You know what I always say, Esther? Well, you just call them up. <laughs> the internet has democratized getting in touch Good with people. Good point. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm really enjoying doing the, the little comedy show that. Um, By the way, I missed that the last one because my mom was in town, and I'm so sorry. How, did, how did it go? It was good. It was good because honestly, the Artful Bachelorette was kind of my little stage for a yeah. while there, and it yeah. was my performance outlet. Yeah. Um, and I knew when I stopped that, I was like, I'm really going to miss this. And then I picked up like the podcast, which is great, but it was. I, what I love about the stage, and I think it's the same of like writing as well, is it's the appropriate place to do it. Mm. Like I'd, I get a bit nervous. I don't like a lot of attention, but if I'm on stage and, and that's what the audience is sitting there knowing that I'm supposed to entertain you, then I'm great. Mm. But in other situations where it may not be I'm just a show off or something, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not so good. Um, Interesting. Where it's like also like... I know for you sometimes you've had opinions about things, but maybe it wasn't the best place to like voice that opinion. But if you Mo- were, usually the case, yeah, <laughs> right. But if you were asked to write a paper about that, about that, right. that is the ultimate place to do it. I have license to, right. and maybe you don't ever need license to talk about whatever you want, but reality is sometimes no, it is. I think about that all the time. In fact, I was thinking last night about Artful, about expectation and sort of presentation. I remember uh, Bradley Cooper a few years ago was was nominated the world's sexiest man by like mm. people or something. And he was like, he was like, this is crazy because his career had only really taken off like a year and a half before that with like the hangover films yeah, and yeah. stuff. Like, you know, in like Wedding Crashers, he played like a douchey like yeah, bro, was, you know, and he no was, one was, he was sort of disgusting. Yeah. But in the hangover, he was like a Whoa. kind of a sexy guy, you yeah. know? And then literally less than like four months later, he's the world's sexiest man. And he was like, listen, he was like, guys, he was like, 
I know I'm not like ugly, but he's like two years ago, women treated me like shit. (laughs) You know, he's like, it's not until people, you know, put you on this sort of pedestal that people's perceptions sort of change. And I think about that with Artful, right? Like, you know, you maybe walk through the door and you're, for the most part, sometimes people are aware of what they're doing. Sometimes they sort of see it on the spot, as you know. Maybe it's a surprise or something. Artful is, by the way, the Artful Bachelorette, the company that we did. Yeah. Right. So a lot of times people who show up to the Artful Bachelorette are rightfully assuming that there's going to be a a sort of quote-unquote attractive man there. Right, so they're entering, naked man. Uh, yeah, assumed to be naked man. Yeah. but but that idea of them going into a scenario with the assumption that this person's going to be attractive, so they're coming in with this predisposed idea that they're going to attach to that that person. Now, that's not to say that like if if some sort of revolting mutant was standing there ready to get naked, it wouldn't matter because they're coming in with that idea. But it certainly sort of bolsters that idea. Well, it can go two ways, though, in your brain, couldn't it? Couldn't it go one way and, like, well, they're already – I'm automatically kind of going to be attractive because that's the platform that's created for me. Not automatically, but it definitely – it's like a seasoning. It's like a sort of, like, mental seasoning or – or just a little, it just like sort of fuel to the mm. fire. When you come up with, a, when you walk into a scenario, or if somebody has sort of put something in a context for you already, it's much easier to enter into that yes. context. Yeah. You know, like if I was just standing on the street and people walked by and you're like, hey, do you think this guy's attractive? You know, maybe like five or six out of 10 would be like, yeah. But if, if you know, you're, you said to a bunch of people, hey, listen, you know, there's an attractive guy in that room. Mm-hmm. I want you to walk in and then tell me if he's attractive. Maybe it's more like seven or eight out of ten. Or yeah. Something. You know, when you implant that in people's heads. Well, especially you who was that person that said that to me? Because you you build their um, my respect for them. Like if it was someone like a girlfriend of mine that I just think everything that she does is so stylish and so amazing. And she says, I'm going to introduce you to the most attractive person, mm-hmm. no matter who he is. I'm probably, he's going to be 10 times attractive right. in that point. But right. if someone tells me that I don't trust their taste, I don't like know them or anything like that. It depends. Like it's right. going to be interesting. We, we're easily influenced as human beings. Yeah. And when it comes to sort of physicality and all that stuff, uh, we really underestimate how sort of context is everything and and uh you know so i don't know i find that fascinating i was just thinking about it last night yeah. and it's like you know you see me on the street you might be like yeah you know you see me there under lights and all that kind of stuff you might be like oh my god uh, yeah you know so it's all we about could play that with the uh musicians like most musicians aren't necessarily like the most attractive people but put like a bass guitar in their hand and put right. them on stage and you're like oh, oh my god there's not a record close off yeah like, but but in a slightly different capacity um you know there was like this violin player I, and you probably saw this where that night he was playing like radio city or carnegie hall or, or something like mm. that and he sold it out and he went down into the subway yeah. and he was like busking 
and uh, nothing know, much happened. And right? people were like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, just another yeah, contact, just another asshole with a violin, yeah. you know, just another failed. I'm listening uh, to my podcast, yeah. mate. Could you just yeah. turn it down a little just bit? Just another yeah. failed uh, musician with probably some tiger mom who put yeah. too much pressure on him. Like, you know, get a job, loser. You know, and <laughs> 20 minutes later, he goes and like crushes it. I love that. So yeah, it's all about context. It's all about setting, presentation, all this kind of stuff. And I find that stuff to be really sort of fascinating too. So one of the most incredible things about you that I have observed for a long time, mm-hmm. raising your eyebrows, like, what are you going to say mm-hmm. to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, is your appreciation for women. Oh, yes. Right? You. I didn't know where this was going, but yes. Yeah. And and I'm going to just say how I've seen it um, because we would do, I mean, we've done like a hundred probably parties together yeah. and every party is, is a different group of women. And Absolutely. I, I can't even say how... There was definite trends and like sometimes if it was the New Jersey girls, we yeah. kind of knew what we were in for and oh, the yeah. Long Island girls. And, yeah. and I remember start, you know, starting this being the Australian, I didn't really know what that kind of meant. Like people would make now comments and now, <laughs> now I kind of get it. And, you know, and then the Brooklyn girls and they yeah. were my favourite. Like oh, I yeah. love it because they yeah. were also talented artists as well. So yeah. it was this beautiful mix. And then forget like location, the lawyers. The lawyers asked every question. Oh, excuse me, um, right. but I, could you please explain that? Right. The you know, lawyers and the doctors always want to have it known yeah, immediately that, that they're, lawyers, they're and lawyers and doctors. And also, if they don't understand the exact instructions, yeah. could you please repeat yeah. that? Because yeah. I need to get an yeah. A on this assignment. Teachers, yeah. as you said earlier, the nur- nurses. The nurses were gr- I remember. So it was this wonderful case study of women. Everyone is a case study in the, in the larger experience. You know, it's an ongoing four-year experiment. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, every every class is um, is is an experiment. It's a sort of controlled room with all these different variables, uh, sort of following a sort of scientific method every time. This sort of two-hour window, this yeah. two-hour structure. And there's like we do there's so there's like two sections of it. The first section we get them kind of warmed up. Like there's no they don't walk in the room and there's a naked man just no. there. You know, like most of the time it's a reveal. Like I, I always loved it when you were hiding and okay. we brought you out because I could have their full yeah. attention for that ten minutes where I needed right. to kind of say, hey, no touching, yeah. no photos. Yeah. And and also kind of lay down the law. Because right. there what Fleur, the lady who runs the Art for Bachelorette, once said to me, she's like, you are the least important person in the room in some mm-hmm. ways, but you're sort of the most important yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Like the girls don't care about you at all, but they need you. Yeah. Um, so I have to kind of get, you have to get that moment with them. Yeah. yeah. You also have to understand that fact. You have to understand that sort of weird balance. It is. It's strength. very strange. But for that 10 minutes, I, I have to. I take over, you know, but then you really, it's like, then you're sort of taking step back sort of the, the rest of the time. Right. So then you, so then you'll do the reveal and then there's like three different exercises. Like it's not just, I think a lot of women walk in thinking that this is literally going to be a man in front of us naked with a bunch of us girls sitting there. And we're just drawing him the whole time. Like right. there is a full structure to this party mm-hmm. um wait why are we even talking about the structure you, you were, were, saying, you were yeah. initially talking about my love for women. so okay so then so there's all different <laughs> there's all different types of women and um and i just like the okay location different jobs but then also throw different scenarios in the maid of honor doesn't like the mother-in-law yeah or they're all the bride's friends are complete from all over the country don't know each other like 
then you just have the different dynamic of do these women even like each other and yeah. want to be here and yeah. like throw that in the yeah. mix. It's just yeah. like, and the bride is very sensitive. She's about to get married in a month. We don't even know if she likes the guy. Like, <laughs> it's just so interesting. Everyone is different. Yeah. So, but then with you, um, I mean, I would say 90% of the time, unless you were in a bad mood. Yeah. Uh, that you just had, it didn't matter how, and I'm going to be very stereotypical, it did not matter how attractive these women were, didn't matter their age, it didn't matter what, you loved them. Mm. And you had this wonderful way of making every woman in the room feel special and feel noticed mm. while you were in this incredible vulnerable situation at the time. Yeah. And, like, you would, there'd be times where I wouldn't have noticed something that's going on and you'll sort of, you know, yeah. call me over and you're like, get the girl, you know, the blonde with the cute dress on to, like, give yeah. her a yeah. bit of attention. Like, you kind of saying give her attention or make yeah. sure that she's feeling comfortable or something like that. Yeah. Um, where has this kind of come from? Because I don't think I've ever seen such a non-judgment love of women before. Um, well, I think, first of all, you have to when – I'm, when I'm outside of that arena, oh, first of all, I'm very observant. When you talk about noticing things, yeah. uh, you like when I was in Zimbabwe and this crazy Zimbabwe shaman gave me a totem. He, I was a falcon. And he said, you're flying high. You see everything, you know? So it's just about sort of being observant. Also, when you're frozen and sort of naked, I don't mean frozen in, in fear, in, but, in but when, you're, when you're motionless and standing there, yeah. there's not much else you can do but sort of search with your eyes. Um, also... When I'm out on the street, when I'm going from A to B, unless like maybe I stroll out of here and I'm like, I'm going to take a walk around yeah. McCarran Park. I'm probably still going to be searching and observing. But in other scenarios, especially in New York City, you barely register to me on, on the street. You know, I'm just so intensely going from A to B. I'm rarely making eye contact. If I pick up like good vibes from people on the street, if somebody's on the sidewalk and I'm walking by, I'm going to say hello and stuff. But That's a train New York thing as well. Like you can't be distracted the whole freaking time. It's a New York thing. You just, and especially with women, right? I think more so than ever, men especially from all walks of life, ages, nationalities, need to be a bit more respectful of how they interact with women on the street. But I also find like, I feel like, and I I don't think this is a bad thing, I'm almost like overly respectful where I, I, I don't really engage with Anyone, really, but especially women. You know, if I see, like, an attractive woman on the street or something like that, chances are I'm just, like, not even going to acknowledge her out of just sort of deference for her comfortability level. But because of that, just acknowledging the way New York is, acknowledging how sort of more so than ever women are a bit more vocal and self-aware about how they're sort of objectified on the street, Mm -hmm. what's so interesting when you step into that role where you're willingly and consensually saying, please objectify me here. I want you to literally look at every square inch of my body. Uh, It's a drastic role reversal for a lot of these women. And they just don't know how to deal with that because they're so defensive and they've been made to be defensive often through no fault of their own, probably throughout their entire life uh, to just be a little bit weary of being treated like an object or being treated like a sexual object. So when, when they enter into that, arena that the artful room Mm. and you are literally laying it bare for them as a man uh it really does something magical for them 
because number one, it's, it's a clear sort of gender reversal, but also it's sort of like, you know what, maybe I am a sexy thing. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to context and just sort of general mutual respect. Uh, so, so there's, there's that first and foremost is when they make that transition. And again, first, you know, first when you drop trow, as you say, um, you know, everyone sort of takes you in yeah. dramatically for about 10 seconds. Or don't look at you because well, they're so uncomfortable. Well, then right away, immediately, they're looking at the scene. When he's talking and... about, he's talking about when he becomes naked in right. front of them all. Like, that we have a reveal. The yeah. Like, the bride comes up and pulls sort of the sarong from around him. And there's, yeah, there's this 10 seconds of... Right, so they really take you in. But then they couldn't care less, right? Or at least they're pretending that they couldn't care less. And that's sort of another moment for one of the teachers or you to sort of step in and, and kind of go, all right, guys. And, yeah. then, and then they sort of slowly come back in. But when they do, especially when they realize that I'm encouraging them to not necessarily laugh at me, but laugh with me or laugh at their drawings of me mm-hmm. and acknowledge that I'm just not taking myself that seriously, let alone the fact that it's a safe space, right? I mean, we have like a sort of no touching rule that, you know, we break. We break, yeah. We break, but we, but just establishing a boundary mm-hmm. or, or like the no photographs while I'm nude. When you sort of establish those rules and you let people know that this is not necessarily a sexual scenario, but it's not. It's not sterile. Yeah. And and you take people on this slow build, especially women, you know, and, and again, I mean, forgive some of these generalities, but, you know, I think we can all sort of confidently say that for the most part, for a woman to get turned on, there's sometimes women just get turned on, they're hot, they're, you know, they're yeah. but for the most part, if you take a group of women collectively through a two hour experience, experience that is sort of ratcheting up in a somewhat classy way um, while allowing them to laugh, laugh at themselves, laugh with each other. You're just swirling the best human emotions, in my opinion, which is the whole party is founded on this celebration of love, of an actual sort of physical bond. But then you create this other space, this other wavelength, which is a little naughty, mm-hmm. a little like, oh, let's get a little naughty. Yeah. Let's let, let's let that spicy, sexy, silly. And I think women are so guarded and so self-aware these days and perhaps rightfully so. I mean, in terms of some of their, you know, obviously the objectification on the streets, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. So just to be in a safe space with such a dramatic gender role with a man saying, no, it's okay this idea of consensual objectification. Not only that, we want you to laugh. Yeah. We want you to be silly. We do not, also we, like this changes off slightly, we don't give a shit what your picture looks like no, either. There's no. no judgment in right. this room. We like the worst ones. Right. Yeah. And you know. The worst, it, whatever. Well, yeah, the ones. craziest <laughs> yeah. ones. Yeah, we love the ones yeah, that are sort like, of uh, monstrosities. And Those my, are the yeah. ones we and my favorite line always was like, I would always say I could see this in MoMA like yeah. to try to put it into perspective of, of art that guys right. we're not looking for the freaking right. like but it but it's often funny because you know what's also really hilarious is most of these people most of these women don't know that I critique art at extremely high level or you are you know oh, but also that you do what you yeah, do and also that you're also an inc- like you know to the listeners Kurt is an incredible artist yourself yeah, like exactly. how I link it is to it's funny how it could come off that I'm giving you a big compliment right now, but it's actually just more like a fact <laughs> that you're very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I link it to Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic. That's your sort of, that's the style that you could, yeah. you can do. I'm sure you can do lots of other stuff. Sort of whimsical photorealism. Right. Yeah. Um, and we would sometimes make you, remember, we sometimes we'd get you to sit down and draw the bride as well. Right. They didn't love that. So, you know, yeah. you were They're closed like, hey, get during that time. There. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but, you know, uh, I have to tell you, I mean, like, you know, every weekend I do a few. Yeah. And I've been doing it for four years, intermingled with them. So literally thousands upon thousands of women, mm-hmm. men, have sort of witnessed me do this. And have not only just seen me naked, but have sort of been a part of that. And I really do. I'm glad you brought it up earlier uh, because I think it's fair to say if you were to really look at Artful in a scientific capacity, you know, like in a sort of like Kinsey capacity or something who sort of went around for universities under four years. I mean, he did that for like about two and a half years. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. Kinsey was this very famous uh, sort of uh, sex scientist. Okay. Uh, Sort of, he was like uh, on the other side of like those Masters and Johnsons people. Kinsey was like the first guy to really do a full national survey of sexuality in America. He sort of pushed himself to explore his own sexuality and and stuff. He was just a fascinating guy, Kinsey, sort of synonymous with sexual study. Um, but I mean, literally, for the last four years, consistently, multiple times a weekend, and again, on average, twelve to fifteen women. So just just this past weekend, uh, I did a party on Friday, and I did one yesterday. One was a fiftieth birthday party with women, twelve women, and then last night was fifteen women uh, for a bachelorette party. Imagine hundreds and hundreds of those. Uh, you really do. Uh, and this is science. Science is, you know, collecting data and coming to conclusions mm-hmm. based on evidence. So for the last four years, I've been interacting with dramatically different groups of women put into the same sort of experiment. Yeah over and over again for four years. And I do confidently think that I kind of, and again, it's also a very particular thing, but I have to say, you know, not that I would ever sort of be bold enough to come up with like major sort of general declarations about women, but I can tell you that they are amazing, Mm. amazing uh, humans, you know? And, and there's something beautiful and sort of magic and that sort of like mischief and purity never goes away, mm. uh, but it does get buried. And if we do anything, it's within that two hours, we try to extract it the best we can, you know? So, and it, that skill set absolutely bleeds over into real life. Well, I was about to say, how has this, how has this affected your personal re- like relationships? Have you ever looked at it in that way? Well, well, you know, I have to tell you, you know, first of all, I've never sort of done anything sexual with any woman who's ever come through the artful experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, just to sort of put that out there, it's, uh, it's, a, sort of, it's a sort of power uh, that you just don't want to exploit. Um, and also just the sort of professional liability. It's just not. And also yeah. you just don't want to ruin, ruin something that's a bit more magical. Like yeah. that. That you just don't want to sort of sully what is it, what is it, more about sort of energy and more about empowerment, mm-hmm. right? And of course, it's empowerment. Empower everyone I do. I feel like I just get a little bit more of this sort of 
spiritual sort of like exoskeleton yeah. strength. Well, the energy in the room is crazy as well. Yeah. But, yeah. but but it's very clear that men and women, but again, mostly women who, who do this, uh, go back out into the world feeling just a bit more sexy, just mm-hmm. a bit more empowered, you know, just a bit more relaxed, a bit more okay with their physicality. You know, body image has become such a such a thing, right? And it's funny because, you know, they, you know, I'm, I'm in good shape, but they might draw something that looks like a revolting blob or <laughs> like, like a, you know, or like a, a pile of butter that well, you put just, in the microwave. Well, it's not a human being. Let's yeah. Just and, and when they see that you can sort of laugh at it, um, it just, they, they take that in a little bit more and they go, you know, like maybe we're clearly all different. People obviously have a different perception of how one person looks, right? So for one person, I might look one way. For another person, I might look completely different. Different facets about me might be completely different. So it sort of brings um, a new understanding to this idea of perspective and how, how you are perceived, how you perceive others. And then also with stripping away the clothes, you're stripping away all these indicators and identifiers and, and all these sort of like cultural and social facades that we erect around ourselves you know like like the way I, like when i walked in through the door I'm like oh Kurt, you're looking spiffy I, I probably look like a douchey like middle-aged real estate agent no, right now for everybody. Look- <laughs> but like you know i might go to like a rock show later you know and i might be dressed totally differently mm-hmm. or like i might go to like a crazy business meeting where i gotta look like you know patrick bateman or i might just like turn around and look like a total scrub or you know so i just think too often uh, especially right now we're just so obsessed with image and identifiers that within this two hour window you strip all that away and and the women as we mentioned earlier they they come in with their identity strong Mm -hmm. right i'm from xyz this is what i do but then literally 15 minutes in who cares i know it doesn't matter so it's just like what do you bring to the table as a human being and what i always say is when you do this and, and you strip yourself bare and you lay it all out you really do serve as a mirror for an individual's personality, all their good, all their bad, all their insecurities. And it comes out. It comes out like some weird extraction process. And sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes it's a little it's ugly. Awesome. Sometimes I, it's also quite sad. Do you remember the woman that started crying that time? Yeah, that happens. Yeah. But it was, be- it was beautiful, but we, we weren't quite sure why, but it, it felt, being in the room, it felt like, I don't think she'd seen an, another man's body or been present in an intimate situation with another man for a long time. They were kind of an older party. And right. it also, she sort of alluded maybe they were having problems. Right. And this just brought right. it all up. And in a nonverbal way. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like uh, extraction is the only word I can use. Like a weird sort of like... Uh, it's almost like an osmosis kind of thing where you're just sort of pulling this stuff out. Mm. And some people double down. They yeah. see it happening and they're like, no, I, I'm not going to share this. I'm not going to let you see this. Uh, and often that turns a little ugly. It gets like a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Or it becomes work. But when you sort of get the impurities out and you're left with the, the purest estate, and again, not to speak generally, but when a woman is sort of free to just be not only who they are, but to sort of embody the best things and sort of inherent in women, which is 
just a sort of like a raw sort of energy and a silliness and a playfulness. But also sexiness. It's like this. All this like, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. I mean, forget about all the, you know, and, you know, obviously we engage. You can talk. So, you know, saying yeah, she, funny stuff, saying inquisitive things and showing their personalities and showing huge. that women are funny. It's and huge they can ask you questions, right? Because normally for the first 10 minutes, they don't know. And and I used to have to also be like, guys, you can you can ask him whatever you want. Sometimes I wouldn't have to. You would, you would just talk to them or something. But but even that they – the classic one was always, you know, what does your mum think yeah. of this? Yeah. And also what else do you do? Like, yeah, yeah. It was like how yeah. can we – And of course, guy? do you ever get an erection? Oh, the erection. Oh, every time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. gosh. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It's so good. And, and you know, four years later, first of all, you're like, wow, I can't believe I've been doing this for four years. That's crazy. But – you know, every time you do one, I don't want to say like, it feels like the first time, like that's not true, but you know, you're getting a unique experience and it's always good. Yeah. It's always fun. I mean, this woman with this 50 year thing at the end, they were crying. I mean, more people laugh more during the Artful Bachelorette, during that two hour window than any comedy film I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is just... I mean, I can't tell you how many people cry tears of laughter during these things. Like, really, like, yeah. and just blown away that that's actually happening. Like, oh, my God, I'm just laughing so hard. My eyes are bleeding, you know? <laughs> uh, and that's, like, just such a success, you know? And I think it's a rare state for people these days. It's a good and people point. are just so uptight, you know? And, and when literally you walk through the door and we're like, there's no room for being uptight in here. Because, look, I'm not uptight. Yeah. You know, like, look, here we go. What excuse do you have? I'm standing here naked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have no excuse. You better, you better relax. You better but relax. I do. I guess I have never really thought about this. So, but so not nothing to do with the artful women, but the women in your personal life. Mm. Like, has this helped at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, how could it not? I know. And again, yeah. like when you talk about seeing things a million miles away, you know, I've become so much more attentive. I mean, and not just like the real world things like, you know, like, you know, filling up your glass or opening a door or picking something up or doing this, blah, 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 blah. But you see the sort of emotional cues happening um, and you just stay out way in front. Uh, and also just really always celebrating people for their individuality mm -hmm. and also showing people that it's okay to be a sexual person. And... People pick up off that, you know, and, and I, you know, people gravitate towards that, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I was at this art opening uh, Friday night after, after, um, a party, after, Artful after party. a party and, and you just like, they carry a lot of that energy out into the city. You carry a lot mm -hmm. of that with you too. And I have to tell you at this art opening, I was like standing around with a bunch of like these publishing guys and like, they're like, Kurt, man, women just like the moth to a flame. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yo, I'm carrying, I'm like pulling in some of that artful energy. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, but uh, they they feel it. They, yeah. they sort of sense it. And men, men do too. I like men come over and yeah. like, who are you? You know, like, and it's as much just me, but it's also carrying a lot of that confidence. I, I mean, would get it. I got it from it as well. There you go. But I even thought I had a moment the other day when I was like, how come I don't care so much about my body anymore? Mm. And I don't mean not as in want to look after or anything, but I, I wouldn't, if someone said, why aren't you in a relationship right now? I would never say, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just not pretty enough. Or mm. like that would, and I think that's also a 16 year old 
way of looking like when you grow up. But yeah. but I think the artful um, was a wonderful realisation, though, that one, everyone's got different bodies and also just seeing all these women all the time. You know, you're like, God, oh my God, there's just every type of woman. And it doesn't – and, like, your fir- of course your first judgment is how they look because that's all you can see. Yeah. Then by the end yeah. you're like, I'm not even seeing what you're yeah. wearing anymore. I'm like, I mean, you this- made me laugh so hard that I think you're the most beautiful this person. 50th birthday party, Mary <laughs> – just so round and she looked looked like Mrs. Claus, you know? Yeah. And at the end, at the end we invite the, the sort of uh, person of honor, if it's a bachelorette or if it's a birthday party, whoever's birthday it is, we, we invite them up to pose with me for the last pose. And they can totally touch you. Like we, you know, you yeah, do like we, a yeah. fun So pose. we brought her up and she was telling me how her uh, uh, husband uh, rides a motorcycle and never lets her, get on it with her because I, I think it's partially because she's kind of big, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I sort of like set up a stool and sort of put her on the stool and I was going to have her go on the back. But I was like, you know what? Go in the front. I, I was like, you go in the front. I'm going to come in the back. So I stripped down and just like climbed on her back like a, like a little monkey, like a little pet monkey. So and like, she was fucking dying. I bet. She was dying. Her friends were dying. Uh, there was this one like big, beautiful black woman who – you know, especially post Trump, we don't yeah. need to get into that. But yeah. those these last two parties that I did, I'm sure it's uh, come up. Also showed how you strip away all these sort of cultural identifiers too, your political affiliation and and all that's like no, leave all that shit at the door. Yeah, all all the frustrations that you're rightfully having now, leave it here. But I can tell that this this woman came in with a lot of. Repackaged, like, mm. and she was tough all the way through. She's like, "Yeah, you're all right, white boy." Like, you know, like she's not gonna give me too much. But when I like climbed onto this woman's like back, like I was on the back of her motorcycle and just like kind of holding onto her and like rubbing up against yeah. her, and, like sort of like singing like little sweet nothings in her ear and like making motorcycle noises and like kind of like leaning to the left and the right. This woman, her friend, was fucking dying, yeah. Esther. I mean, she was crying, laughing. And uh, it that is like a sort of major victory for me where it's like it's not about any yeah. any uh, sort of identity issue. It's none of that. Leave it all behind, you know. And, and then, yeah, just, you know, the, the warmth. Because, you know, when, when you're looking at these women for two hours, especially like – we do like a blind contour drawing where you don't look at your paper. You, you know, yeah, and yeah. I stare into their eyes. I know you, yeah. And when is it appropriate or even a thing in our contemporary lives to be able to stare deeply into the eyes of 12 strangers at all, let alone when you're naked? So it's very disarming. It's awkward at first, but then it's sort of like, why don't we do this more? Like, yeah. you know, so, and that's when I soak it up because again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking you in. I'm not letting you in, uh, you know, but, but in those two windows, I'm, yeah. I'm going as sort of deep as I could go and I'm, and I'm going to try to open you up and, and it's just, it's always great. You know, it's always amazing. So we got to kind of wrap it up, but one of my, <laughs> talk to you forever. <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, things, I think, because of the confidence of this story, right, is the girls, women that would come in that wouldn't be wearing underwear. Oh, I love And that. that would just, like, open their legs a little bit. Oh, yes. The Sharon Stones of yeah. the world. Because mm. I, 
I would just never. It just couldn't. I don't even. Uh, uh, and you and I would never. I never saw it, but you would kind of tell me afterwards. Oh, I guess they're not going to do it when I'm standing right up there. Um, maybe. Uh, but I like just the the things that would happen. That was, and then when the girls would gather, they're like, "You, how come you get to be naked? I oh, want to yeah. be naked." Yeah. Oftentimes the brides come up and strip yeah. down as well. Yeah. And you know, often varying body types and stuff. That's what was, yeah. A lot of times we'll bring up the bride though, and and she'll immediately touch on like whatever her insecurity is. Or she'd be like, guys, can you just throw my boobs bigger? Yes, yeah. Or guys, can you make my butt like less flat? Or like, or can you like they'll they'll pick themselves apart and it's sort of interesting. And uh, you know, again, I I've been doing it for so long where it's like, you know, I'm not sort of thing, but when you bring them up like that, it is a thing for them, but they do in a way that's funny. It it is they sort of address an insecurity, but they're also sort But of, there's no but also that's why it's at the end of the class. There's right. no way you could do that at the start. Like right. it's even to get the bride up to take off your sarong is like yeah, it's often, a little bit of come on, yeah. come on up here. Come on down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're like, what? Because a lot of the time also the bride, it's a surprise. They right. don't even know right. like they're not even sure if you're going to take off your clothes yet in some ways. Anyway, yeah. so good. Um, but thank you so much for coming. No, on. thank I, you. I definitely want to have you on another time and let's not talk about Artful and I want to hear all your other theories on love and relationships oh, and so all that kind of stuff. I, I'll end with this. You know, women are amazing. They're not crazy. Men make women crazy by being idiots. And the minute you stop being an idiot and you focus – you realize that, you know, things are really, really easy, you know, really simple. Yeah. And it's good to focus. It's good to... And it can be magical. Like it's-, it's good to harness your energy, you know, and and as you get a little older, you realize you don't have as much of it as you used to have. But when you really sort of hone in and, and you focus, it, it, it does. It's like really, really magical. And if I want to spread it around, I can spread it around at Arkle. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you give your perfect outlet. All right, thanks, Kurt. Thank you.